So the big question is this. How do most agents who don't have access to the secrets that the top agents hoard to themselves grow and prosper in today's real estate environment? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. I'm Pat Hyben, and welcome to Real Estate Rockstars. All right, Rockstar Nation, we have a great guest today. Got Mr. Brian Bowles on the line. Brian, you know, owns a real estate brokerage called Worth Clark Realty. Uh, He's the owner and founder of that. He also owns a company called Transactly. And uh, we are going to dig deep into the future today. We're going to talk about the future of the real estate agent, the future of the real estate commission, the future of the real estate transaction, the future of the real estate MLS. Uh, We're going to talk about how to work exclusively with tech savvy buyers and sellers with modern buyers and sellers, modern clients. We're talking about a lot of stuff today. This is going to be a very, very exciting and high-minded episode. So hold on to your seats and uh, welcome to Real Estate Rockstars, Mr. Brian Bowles. Hey, Pat. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on and love the podcast. Hey, buddy, why don't you give everybody a little rundown on who you are so they get to know you better? Yeah, sure. So, oh, we can start from the beginning. I got into the real estate industry about 10 years ago, maybe a little bit before that as an investor first. And prior to that, most of my career was spent as an equities trader out of college. So I did, did that for about 10 years. Like I said, I got in investing in real estate when a lot of other people jumped in 2005 and just loved it. So I became licensed, quickly started my own brokerage, ended up leaving Scottrade. That brokerage is Worth Clark Realty. And within a short amount of time, we, we grew significantly. We've been in the Inc. 500 the last three years in a row. Uh, we're in four markets now. And a lot of the clients that ended up picking up were people that I'd worked with in the past. So engineers and other traders, very savvy individuals. And it was quite unique from dealing with the type of clients that you may otherwise, you know, cousins, friends, family, that kind of thing. Going down the path of the career still, once we started building Worth Clark, one of the things we wanted to figure out was how to give a better client experience. You know, so much of this is just done offline via emails and texts. There's not much transparency to it for the clients. So we started building out a platform that does that, that that gives them something a little bit more than just me and allows them to see what's going on in in the deals. So that was Transactly. And as we started building it out, it it was originally intended for Worth Clark, but realized that it would do much better and be adopted much better by clients if we made it more agnostic and not just for the brokerage. So um, we spun it out and that's now where I spend most of my time is building this platform uh, Transactly just to, again, to give clients more of a, an online experience and trans, uh, transparency into what's going on. That's really cool. I love that term. I don't know why broker agnostic, but uh, okay, cool. So let, let's talk about um, changes and let's start off since you're talking about Transactly. Let's start off by talking about the transaction Right, like so. So, what do you see changing in the real estate transaction? So, we already know the changes that we're already seeing in 
you know, the MLS with Zillow and, 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 and how the consumer can delve into information and find houses. So let's talk about after they find them and after the house is sold or there's a contract written all the way up until the time that they get the keys. What is the future of that? Yeah, well, there's a lot of different paths we can go down there. That consumer roadmap is pretty long and there's two different sides to it. So let's talk about one. Let's just talk about the listing, for example. They see their home online, marketed in realtor.com, Zillow, everywhere else. But the online experience after that kind of ends. You know, they'll receive showings via email and text. Some agents may use a call center to coordinate those. Then once it comes to receiving an offer, it's emailed to them. Uh, some are still presented in person. And that's a, a, another completely different system. And then once they're under contract, there are some transaction management systems out there with some, we'll call them client portals that just kind of give them a very basic folder of what their documents are. Right, like settlement room or, or some of these, like if you hire a transaction, if you're a real estate agent, you pay somebody $500 to handle your transaction, chances are they're going to put it in one of these things like settlement room where they just, you know, it handles it from start to finish. But that's already there. What, like, it, yeah, it, so it, it's already there, right? The, the industry has always been focused on improving the efficiency of the transaction for the sake of the broker and the agents, but not much for the sake of the client. Okay, and let me stop you there. So listen to what he's saying, guys. So the industry is always there for the sake of the agent, but not necessarily for the sake of the client. Tell me about that. Most of, well, we can talk about what's available out there now and coming back to just that same point. You know, most of it's focusing on improving efficiencies for the agents and the brokers, but not much in the way of the experience of the client. And we, we see some progressive brokerages doing that now. Some that, um, you know, a lot of my peers in the industry don't like, like Purple Bricks. You know, for example, they've built out a platform that allows their clients to see what's going on at any given time and help them create their own checklist, et cetera, for moving or calling the pest control, et cetera. You know, none of the rest of the industry is really giving that type of client experience. It's just agent by agent sending their unique canned emails after they go under contract or so forth. There's no, there's no platform to manage those multiple things that happen for the, for the client. So the way that we see those transactions changing, and again, we can go to different passes, we see all that happening more connected, right? So from the showings happening and the client being able to see that, then when offers happen, the client being able to see that all from one dashboard, from, from one view. And then digging into offers a little bit more, we see offers going away from emails, just like they went away from fax messages and just like they went mm. away from hand delivery. Wow. And, and, and so I, I think essentially what you're saying is this, it's a simultaneous notification, right? It's a, it, what, what Brian is saying is, right, it's, you know, the traditional, traditional way of doing it is it goes to the agent, right? And then from the agent, it goes to the seller or the buyer. And he's saying what Purple Bricks has done is they streamlined it so everybody gets it at the same time. What Transactly, or Transactly is doing is the same thing, right? So, so the, 
someone submits an offer, the agent gets it and the seller gets it. Someone shows the house, the agent's notified and the seller's notified of all the information. Someone gives feedback, the agent's notified and the seller's notified. So you're, you're taking the agent out as a middleman and pretty much making them a carbon copy, right? Well, yes. <laughs> you don't want to devalue that. Uh, I, you know, yeah, but, I'm not. I'm just simplifying it, though. You know, but yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we see it as an improvement for the sake of efficiency and transparency and also compliance. You know, like if you look at the Realtor Code of Ethics, there's the standards of practice. One of them is 1-6, and it says you have to deliver your offers to your client objectively and as quickly as possible. So platforms like these are the only way to really do that. Because if we do it the way we're doing it now, where buyer agent emails a document to listing agent, listing agent then whatever has to then regurgitate some email and then deliver that to the client, they may not be, they may, may not be in compliance. Uh, they may accidentally not be in compliance. This automates that compliance. So it delivers that offer immediately to the client. Everyone can see when that client has received it without giving up anyone's personal information. And then also, it can, that doubles as a confirmation so that the buyer agent knows that it's been delivered and received. Yeah, it's fascinating. You know, I, you know, I was on a Facebook group uh, the other day, and an agent came on and she said, and this is going to go kind of into another topic uh, that we're going to talk about in a minute, but it goes into this topic now. Um, she said, you know, I'm offering Y co-op and an agent wants X co-op and he put it in the offer that my seller is going to pay him more. Hmm. What do I do? And uh, she got uh, a bunch of responses, right? Oh, you know, yes, you should do it. Um, yes, you should pay it. Other people were like, no, don't pay it. But then finally someone came on and they said, hello, you know, don't worry about what it says. You need to present that offer because you posted this thing like 12 hours ago. And, and, the, and the agent was still like getting advice from agents on a messaging board. And I thought to myself, the poor seller, right? It, the seller can make a decision themselves whether or not they want to pay that extra commission, right? That's not that hard of a decision to make, right? Right. The, and the agent in the meantime was standing in the way and the buyer could have been getting anxious because it wasn't the buyer's fault. It was just the, the first agent being, what do you want to say, being greedy or, or asking for more money or whatever you want to call it. It was the other agent, you know. So essentially, both agents were standing in the way. The first thing was standing away because they were asking for something for themselves yeah. through their buyer, which their buyer yeah, probably wouldn't have known it. There too. Yeah, I mean, yeah. right. The agent, the buyer agent probably didn't say, listen, this may hold up the offer or this may get your offer rejected, but is it okay if I put an extra half percent in here? Yeah. Um, they probably didn't say that, right? And, and so they held it up. They were responsible. And then the second agent was definitely responsible in that she dorked around on Facebook for 12 hours before she printed it, before she presented it to get advice. Yeah. So if, I guess my question to you is, is this wrong? And what's your opinion on it? And what's, what do you think is going to happen with that? I mean, whether it's wrong or not, it's more of a question for an attorney, which I'm not. But <laughs> I would say that it doesn't I'd seem very ethical to me. And, you know, in that situation, the agent that was on Facebook asking around, 
we, we, we can't jump to conclusions of whether that buyer agent got their buyer's commission to put the, the commission amount in the contract or not, right? We just have to know that we have a contract that belongs to our seller, not us. So we need to get it to that seller as quickly as possible and then talk about it with that seller. You know, then we can talk about, well, maybe that buyer agent didn't get permission from their buyer about putting it in or what have you. But the bottom, bottom line is, is the seller should be receiving that offer as quickly as possible. Okay, so, so let's move to commissions then. Like, what do you think the future of commissions is? Are um, I know a lot of people won't like this, and I think it'll eventually come, you know, with, with NAR, we've got a lot of lobbying power with these things, but I think eventually there will be some kind of like FTC, uh, FTC or DOJ that comes down and, and forces potentially like decoupling of commissions. You know, that, okay, that's, let, me, that's, let me stop you there. Let me slow it down. Decoupling of commissions, what does that mean? So that means the buyer pays their buyer's agent and the seller pays their listing agent. Decoupling. Okay. The buyer pays the buyer agent and, and, and the seller pays the seller agent. And that's where you think it's going. I think it could potentially. Yeah. I mean, when you see a lot of uh, listing services now, Redfin's a big one like this that advertises a listing commission of 1.5%. You know, there's always an asterisk in there that, plus buyer agent commission. So it's already kind of being advertised as decoupled, even though it's not, you know, and I've always had just this kind of sense of, you have to think about it. It does seem odd that the buyer agent who's supposed to represent the best interest have the, in the fiduciary capacity of the buyer is getting paid essentially by the seller. So any outsider, particularly any kind of like outside regulator uh, that looks at that, will see that potential conflict. You know, so I think it's I think it's certainly a threat to the way things are done now. And I could certainly see it going that way. Amazing read for agents who want to blow their business up. Six steps to seven figures was an amazing read. Pat breaks it down into simple, actionable steps that have taken will almost guarantee seven figure success in the real estate sales business. Couldn't recommend this enough. Wow. Thank you for the awesome Amazon review, Garo215. Now, do you want to get your hands on this book for free and blow your business up? Here's how. Go to the free six steps That's free, S-I-X, stepsbook.com right now. Or simply text the word PAT to 444-999. That's text PAT to 444-999 and I'll send you a free book. I agree with you. Uh, there was an interesting thing that happened recently in Northern Virginia. There was an agent there who had 60 some listings and she across the board changed the co-op right? Yeah. To the letter N and what the letter N knows, and it happened to be bright MLS, I think, or, or whatever's MRIS is the multiple listing service she was using, has an option that you can check, which is N and it stands for negotiable. And essentially what negotiable means exactly what you said, it's a decoupling. So th then the agent then is forced to, to pick a, a commission and put it in the offer 
and put it in as part of the bid. So if there's, and, and this is a, a, a massive seller's market, like Northern Virginia right outside of Washington, D.C. is massively yeah. seller's market, yeah. massive. And the, you know, the five richest counties in the country surround Washington, D.C. So multiple bids on pretty much every property. So then the agents are then forced to say, well, if you really want this house, I'm only going to charge you A, right? And other people may charge B, C, and D, and they may lose it for their buyers. Other people may look at it and say, well, I only showed you one house, so I'm only worth C, so I'm only going to charge you C. Or I've been working with you for three years, and you guys have dragging me through the mud. I'm going to make sure I get a lot of money from this. I'm going to put D in here. So there's all kinds of things that could go into it, but it's a conversation between the agent and the buyer, and then the buyer like any consumer in a capitalist society has the ability to use certain businesses and not use certain businesses could then say, well, I know another agent that will do it for a, I'm going to just go to them just like is happening on the listing side. Right. I know Redfin yeah. will do it for one and a half. I'm going to go to them instead of, you know, Pat Hyben who'll do it for, you know, whatever, right. More than that sure. or less than that or whatever. So, so do you see more and more that happen? Do you see more and more agents going and putting negotiable in the MLS? <laughs> I, I don't know. That's, that's an interesting situation. Can, can you tell me, do you know about the outcome of that situation? Yeah, the outcome was really bad. So what happened was um, so many agents didn't understand it, first of all. And it was, I think it was kind of passive aggressive in a sense that, that doing that was kind of like, you should have a buyer broker agreement with your buyers. And, yeah. and if you don't, that's your fault. Yeah. Right. So yeah. it came out. And of course, like all agents and all brokers are saying, oh yeah, we always get buyer broker agreements signed. But you and I know that's BS, right? That people just show houses and they don't get them signed. They usually yeah. get them signed as an addendum that's attached to a 300 page contract. Yeah. So her phone system and email system was overwhelmed with people not understanding, right? And not knowing what to put in and having to walk through the process mm. that she changed them all back. And then when she changed them all back, and, th and this is hearsay, this is what I've been told by other agents, she changed them all back to a completely different commission. It happened to be a lower commission than they originally were, but at least it was a set fee. So there was no question about what the agent was getting paid. So yeah. that was the outcome. It didn't go well. Um, she was a pioneer in doing it. It's an, it's an interesting experiment that she did. Yeah. Well, I don't know that I could see it going that way and making it negotiable. When I say decoupling, I mean more, I can see where a listing agent is not offering a commission to a buyer agent at all. It's not a negotiating factor whatsoever. The buyer negotiates that commission directly with their buyer's agent and the commission can't come from the listing side. They get that compensates the person that's supposed to be representing the buyer. Yeah. Which we could go down a whole nother rabbit hole. A whole nother step further. What she was doing was trying to get it from this, you know, eventually the seller would pay it. But you're saying it's even farther than that. It would be negotiable, but it'd be negotiable between the buyer and the agent. And which, which it is. It is, right? But like you said, no one really pays attention to it with the buyer agency agreement because there's always the assumption that they're just going to take what's offered in the MLS and it's going to be, you know, what their, we'll call it acceptable rate might be as opposed to, you know, the minimum commission that, that might or might not be set in a buyer agency agreement. Right. 
Yeah. No, yeah, it will be fun to watch. But uh, let's, so let's talk about this. So really what agents need to know and need to learn today is how are they going to make themselves more valuable? Because I think now more than ever, they're going to have to fight for their commission, especially if there's a, a decoupling, right? They're going to have to fight to say, no, I'm worth this, yeah. right? How can they do that? Well, let me, if you don't mind, take a step back into where I was originally laying out the client experience. Yeah, please. You know, where I see every other, just about every other, we'll take, put it this way. You could check your phone out to see if your garage door is open or closed, right? But an agent can't really check their phone to know what's coming up next in a deal. There are some things coming out there like Amitree has one for if you're using Gmail to know what's going on in a timeline of events. Anyway, clients will eventually have that dashboard for their sale. And that dashboard and platform will handle a lot of the facilitative things that agents handle now, you know, manually sending reminders about what's coming up next and, hey, don't forget to change your utilities. Here's a list of those utility providers you'll need to turn on, you know, if you're a buyer. Uh, I see all that happening through automated technology. And what agents will need to do to keep up is focus on the consultative things, you know. As realtors, we play two roles right now, facilitators and counselors. But we need to do more than just those facilitative things like open doors and send reminders and forward offers. Where the good ones will going forward, where they'll be focused is counseling people after those facilitative things are done. A lot of those facilitative things will be replaced by technology. Okay, so like what do you see? Like how and, 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 and so how do I, you know, what are some exact things that I can do to become a, a better, you know, facilitator or better counselor or better, you know what I mean? A human uh, yeah, being I, I would, competing against IT. So how do I be a better human being? Well, I think that uh, how you be a better human being is a very, <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, agent, real estate agent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I wouldn't focus on being a better facil facilitator, that's for sure. Because okay, guys, listen to that. I wouldn't focus on being a better facilitator. Okay, keep going. Yeah, I would let the technology do the facilitative things for you. What you need to focus on is counseling your clients when they receive that lowball offer, um, how to negotiate that you know, disastrous inspection notice item that's only like a couple hundred dollars, but the seller's ready to walk away. You know, those are the consultative things that we need to focus on. Um, I ref often referred to it with my agents that I would coach through as adult babysitting, which sometimes it does seem like, but those are the consultative things that are real. That, that, that's what sets the good agents apart from the bad agents now. Um, but that's what will keep the good agents alive in the future as technology starts to take over many of these facilitative things that, uh, that we're, we're currently doing. It would be and, sort of like in med school, they would have a class called Bedside Manor 101. Here you go. Yeah, exactly. It's eight, the basics. Eight, it's, it's being a good human being 101. That, yeah, right. Yeah. So what can we do? Like, like, like is it more, is it just thinking about that? Just say hey, you need to be more sensitive. You need to be more patient. You need to listen better. You need to be willing to hold hands or. I think all those things and some of it just comes with 
experience and time. You know, there's some people that naturally have that and there's other people that don't. It depends on your personality when you come across those things. So uh, a lot of people I would recommend if they don't have a broker that's willing to coach them through those things to hire a coach. And as you come across those situations, think about the different angles of handling them. You know, again, that, that whole being a good counselor is very subjective to your own personality and the personalities that you're dealing with. So there's no one answer that I can give you. Hmm. Yeah. I think it's just the theme of that, right? You probably want to pick up the phone and call more, right? Yeah. Probably want to try to meet face to face more. You got to fight in, you got to fight kind of in the face of technology. You you want technology to to do the transactions for you because they are going to be more efficient and they are going to do it faster, so don't try to fight that, but tr- try to fight the human aspect of it and be more human, right? Yeah. Face-to-faces and, and phone calls. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, and I can liken it to the, you know, the financial services industry, which I have a background in. You know, we saw the same kind of thing happen to the financial services industry, before the 90s, everyone paid 10% of whatever they were investing in a stock to a broker. And then you had, you know, T Ameritrade and Scott Trade and E-Trade and all these others come out with $7 trades. None of the good financial planners or advisors or brokers went away. The ones that could really talk people through those things. And even though, even those that are using let's say TD Ameritrade to place their, I don't know what they cost now, say $7 a trade. Even though they're using that, many might still be paying a percentage of fees to a certified financial planner for an overall help. And so I see real estate taking that same path as where clients will have access to do a lot of these things themselves. Even like showings, for example, once virtual tours become more well adopted, it could be five, 10 years from now, but it will be more adopted but they'll always need that person to lean on for advice. So our role will always be there. I think that going to the showings, what's more apt to disrupt the showing is, is, yeah, 3D tours with the little goggles on or whatever, but also lockboxes that don't require require a human being, meaning you put in your credit card and you give up a $1,000 deposit that you get back as soon as you're done looking at the house or, or whatever, or, or, a $50 deposit. They already have this for rentals. Yeah. And then, then you just go look at somebody's house. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and agents can take a very protective role of, well, I need to be there to point things out, you know, but we have to keep in mind, we're not home inspectors or engineers to know how to identify foundation shifting, unless you are happen to be a licensed agent and licensed, you know, structural engineer. Um, so yes, that can very easily disrupt it. You have to think of it from the angle if you're a buyer's agent rather than, rather than uh, dismissing that and saying that, oh, it's not going to be good because you, you need me to be there. It's, man, imagine if that really did work as a buyer's agent, how many buyers I could handle if I weren't spending eight hours a day driving people around the houses. As a member of the Rockstar Nation, you may have noticed that every guest that comes on the show now is required to bring with them a free tool, an item of utility that real estate agents can use to drastically increase their sales and profits. Some of the things that have been brought have been ebooks, forms, reports, negotiating techniques, hiring guides, postcards, 
checklists, open house secrets, newsletters that are sent out, sphere of influence forms, referral request forms, and the list goes on and on. If you would like to get this free toolbox full of items of utility, simply go to hybendigital.com backslash toolbox. That's hybendigital.com backslash toolbox or simply text toolbox to 444-999. That's toolbox to 444-999. Okay, let's talk about another future. What do you, what do you think the future of um, the boards of realtors, the association of realtors, the MLSs, like it's very fractured now. What are your thoughts there? That, that it's very fractured. It's very fragmented, put it that way. You know, we as a technology company look at all the MLSs. There's what, 600 something and only really 150 of them with any kind of true member base. There's hundreds with maybe 40 members. And I kind of scratch my head and go, why? You know, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what the future holds other than just consolidation of a lot of that stuff over time. Do you think we'll have one United States MLS? I think that would be a beautiful thing. <laughs> I think it would be much simpler for all of us. Could be a challenge to get there, not just because of, you know, People, people's positions with boards, et cetera. You know, and no one wants to lose that position of the board that they oversee for their local area. And there's obviously nuances for each area that have to be accounted for if you consolidate something like that nationally. That, so it's a, it's a very com- that would be a very complex undertaking over time. Yeah, absolutely. I know there's people gunning for that, and I think it will happen. It, it only makes sense. I mean, you're right. There's boards with 40 people in it. And then the neighboring county has another board with 220. And it's like, doesn't it make sense to have one board? And then the neighboring county has another one with a thousand. And it's like, you know what, why have so many different MLSs? I I meant not boards, but yeah, boards too, but also boards and MLSs. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a matter of time. It's just antiquated, you know, for those that haven't been in the industry. The reason we got there is because it was pre-internet. You know, it made sense to have that board in that little county, because you couldn't access the listings online, you had to go actually open a book and look at the, look at the listings and see what the co-op was. But it's not necessary anymore. Uh, so let's jump to, to the modern buyers because you're kind of a, an expert in that and, and, and you've talked about this before and uh, I want to delve into this because you've got some expertise here. But So talk to me about uh, working with modern clients, buyers and sellers versus working with, you know, any old client? You know, the thing that I've learned is that I can't change what they want to use a lot of times. And, and, and I speak that in terms of like a search portal, you know, for example, a lot of people use Zillow and I've learned to adapt Zillow, even though there's reasons why I may not like Zillow uh, as an agent, but you you, f- you find that those that know how to use it use it really well and it's a great tool. So you're better at, at adapting to kind of how they operate. So that's one thing. The other thing is transparency. So when you're dealing with someone that's savvy, they're obviously extremely intelligent and 
can handle tough conversations and tough situations and can understand the contract. I've had numerous clients that even myself, after seeing the same board sales contract a hundred times, read it and knew it better than me after the first or second time. (laughs) So I learned some hard lessons in that, Um, you know, but the biggest takeaway is that just, just being transparent in what you do and knowing that, you know, these, these, that type of buyer can handle it. And so how do you find these? Like, how did you find these type of buyers and how did you, you know what I mean? Like, like, where do you look for them? And I mean, it was somebody could say, Oh, I'll just work with millennials. Right. Yeah. Good luck. <laughs> good luck. Well, that would depend on your sphere of influence as well. Right. So yeah. for, for me, when I got into the industry, it was coming out of the trading industry. So most of my sphere of influence were engineers and other traders that I'd worked with in the past. Okay. Um, so that brain people. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how I find them. You know, I also, when I got active, I marketed my services, not in a bucket, but Hey, I offer negotiable a la carte services as a listing agent. Really? So, so I would have, you know, conversations with each client when I would sit down and do my listing presentation. It wasn't a, hey, here's what I do in this fancy virtual tour. I would actually break down what the comps were on the market, what comps sold, and then said, here's what I would take. It takes to get there. Do you see the same? And I would include them in the conversation rather than telling them, you've got to do this and you have to do this and, and here's my fee for this. What I found is you, you sometimes come across people that already have a very good grasp of what's going on. So be careful not to shoot yourself in the foot by being a know-it-all in that situation. You know, and, and I think that the more the consumer knows, the more fees get broken up. And a great example is the advertising. Like I remember when Google right SEO optimization first came out, people were just charging whatever fees and saying, hey, man, I'm going to get people to your website. And then people started realizing that, you know, they were making a fat profit in there and they were like, okay, well, you give me 500 and I'll give 400 to Google and you pay me 100 right? And the same thing with Facebook ads. People were used to run Facebook ads for flat fees and you had no idea how much money they were actually putting towards Facebook ads. And now that the consumers understand Facebook ads and they're easier to understand, people are saying, you know, you pay me 100 and I'll give 400 to Facebook. So you, you kind of right. know and I kind of see that with the Definitely. real estate yeah, transaction. Yeah. Yeah, look, they can refer back to Zillow because they have so much of this stuff already. But Zestimates are getting more and more accurate. And there's more than just that that the consumers have now to get a good idea of what the value of their home would be. So you come in with someone that's highly educated and savvy. They've already got a pretty good idea of what their home's worth. I mean, ballpark within a few thousand. So your your consultative approach is not, hey, here's just what I think, but here's the kind of situation we're going to run into. What we can expect is multiple offers. So we need to go at this. I recommend with this strategy of, you know, whatever it might be. Let's say we hold an open house three days before we actually list it and try to drive as many of those offers as we can on the first day and get it under contract in that first day. Those are the kind of things that the consumers don't know these days is how those situations play out. 
Does that make sense? Does, does, does that yeah. kind of make sense? Yeah. So, so I mean, they have access to the information, the data that we used to go to people with of here's what it'll sell for potentially, here's where we need to market. A lot of them have that and know it, the savvy ones do. What they don't know yet is how that situation is going to go down because they don't see it every week or weekend like we right. do. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, it's, it, it, uh, it's very interesting because people, you, you know, you could essentially say to somebody, hey, you know, always get three estimates on price when you're listing your house, but they can go online and, 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 and get, get three estimates from three different sources, yeah. Zillow, appraisals.com, and yeah. whatever else, you know. Yeah. Um, and so, so that's interesting and stuff. What do you think about these websites now that where you can, um, as a, list, uh, as a, a seller wanting the list, you can put it out there, right? It's like lending tree, right? Yeah. Banks compete, you win, right? Agents mm-hmm. compete, you win. So you put it out and say, here's my address, uh, 1234 Swansfield Road. And uh, agents say, I'll do that for uh, X percent. Another one says Y percent, but I'll give you a virtual tour and I'll do an open house every Sunday. The other guy says, I'll do it for P percent and I'll give you a Saturday, Sunday open house and a broker's open and advertise you here and, and spend $7,000 in um, XYZ ads. I mean, what, do you think that that's potentially uh, a threat to real estate agents? No, um, I mean, it's been around for a long time. I don't know how home light does that. Right. I've, listed property. I won listings through HomeLite years ago, six, seven years ago. So that's been around. I don't see that really disrupting it. They're good lead sources. Do they add value? Is that the question? Yeah, they're good. It seems like the, cause I've looked at HomeLite and it seems like you just get, you get all the agents you've, you've heard of anyways. You get like the right. top three agents in the market because they have all the transactions. So those are the ones that I don't want to say that there's there's antitrust there because it's not um, verbalized, but they're the agents with the higher commissions most likely because they spend so much money on marketing that that's why they got all the sales in that zip code or that area. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it doesn't really yeah. do the consumer. The, the, the guy at the bottom is the guy really probably going to drastically cut the commission for you, but they're not showing up on home light. Right. Yeah. Yeah, unless they know all the lead sources out there. Look, I, I, I just think of those as lead sources, uh, conversation starter, um, good avenues for agents to pick things up. Some people see it as it might be pushing down commissions, and I don't, I don't think it has. It doesn't, it doesn't do anything that we're already doing now where you have, let's say, three listing agents come to your house and give you presentations you know, if you're a listing agent and you're going on a listing presentation and you don't think you're being paired up against other listing agents, you're naive. It's happening. So you got to come in with your best shot. So it's just taking that offline process and putting it online, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's really no different. It's in every other industry. You look at Thumbtack, you know, it does it with home services, et cetera. So That's true. Yeah. That's true. And I, I've used Thumbtack a lot. Yeah. Wow. This is, uh, I mean, we've covered some awesome stuff here, Brian. Um, so let's, let's wrap this up with your free gift. Like what, uh, everybody that comes on a show brings a free gift, right? We, we, uh, something you can download, something you guys can print out, put on your wall. You can do whatever you want to do with it. Uh, and Brian, of course, like all the other guests have bring one, I'm going to put his on hybendigital.com backslash transactly, transact. 
Lee. And, and in addition to his free gift up there, guys, I'm going to put all his information. I'm going to put a link to, if you want to try Transactly, he has a beta program, right? Where the first year is free, right? Yep. Yeah. First year would be free for him. First year free. Um, and you can learn all about it there uh, with the link. And, and, and yeah, and all this information, if you want to reach out to him, uh, ask him some more questions or whatever, I'll be up there in the show notes, hybendigital.com, access, Transactly. What do you got for us today, Brian? Yeah, you bet. So we will send out, uh, it'll be a checklist and guide to working with modern day buyers and sellers, including some of the th- key things and takeaways that I just touched on lightly here, along with some tools that can help you out with that. So, and a lot of these things are, are managing that client experience online, you know, giving these people the kind of insights that they may or may not have already, um, but just uh, kind of showing that you're open to providing the transparency that they kind of expect these days. All right. Yeah, that'll be awesome. That'll be awesome. And that'll be there. And guys, I'm also going to put that in an agent success toolbox, which can be found at hybendigital.com backslash toolbox. Or you can text the word toolbox to 444-999. Brian, this has been fun, buddy. Thanks so much. Best of luck to you at Transactly and in all your future endeavors. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to Real Estate Rockstars. If this free content is giving you a ton of value, I want to ask a small favor in return. I need you to pull out your pointing finger and hit the subscribe button yes hit subscribe please the more subscribers that we get on real estate rock stars the better guests are attracted to the shows we'll get more guests from the top companies from the top teams and even more celebrity guests like robert kiyosaki and barbara corcoran also if you're not a member of our free facebook group Go to Real Estate Rockstars Radio right on Facebook and join the conversation. I'm on there myself on FaceTime Lives, and we have a lot of communications and questions about the show, and I'd love to see you there. And it's free. People ask me all the time, where am I on social media? I'm real easy to find. Just type in my name. My IG is I am Pat Hyben. It is blowing up on Instagram, adding tons of subscribers, and I'm on there probably twice a day, so definitely follow me on Instagram, as well as everywhere else. Thanks again for listening, and keep rocking. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.